Hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. All right, you may be seated this morning. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for bringing us here, God. We thank you for the opportunity to be with other people who worship you. We thank you for the community of this place. And God, we pray for um, the words I'm about to speak, God. And I pray that just like we sang, that your Holy Spirit will come through me this morning. And um, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So you guys know that whenever I'm speaking, I'm super nervous. So the drill is the same. Nod your head if you don't understand what I'm saying, and then I'll think that everything's going great. All right. (laughs) So today I want to talk about battles because we all face battles. It's something that we're going to come in contact with probably every day of our lives. And some are very big battles, those life-altering battles that you think of, you know, death of a loved one, some kind of emotional trauma, a destroyed reputation. And then we have the smaller traumas, like, well, we say they're smaller, but the daily traumas, like, or battles, um, worry, doubt, fear. So the list goes on, but we are all fighting a battle today, and we will fight battles every day for the rest of our lives. And we talk about battles in the Bible. We talk about some ones we know, like David and Goliath, Joshua and Jericho, Gideon and the Midianites. And we often tell stories of people who are in spiritual battle, such as Moses and his lack of self-confidence, Paul spreading the gospel, and Peter and his denial of Jesus. But there's one battle story that's in the Old Testament that is my favorite. It's a story of total dependence on God, and it highlights the power of praise, prayer, and faith. And it shows God fighting the battle of his people while they simply stand still and praise him. And the story is found in 2 Chronicles 20. It's the story of Jehoshaphat and his army. So who has heard of Jehoshaphat? Yeah. So Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah after Israel and Judah split the kingdoms. Um, And that split happened under his great-grandfather. He was the son of Asa, who was the great-grandson of Solomon. And both Asa and Jehoshaphat are considered good kings of Judah. But unfortunately, they still both fell at the end of their reigns. Um, Jehoshaphat... He was pretty cool because he carried out a national program of religious reform because he wanted his people to know God and to worship God. And he also developed an extensive legal structure that was super um, different because for him, he wanted every citizen to get fair legal treatment. Um, He was alive during the time of Jezebel and her daughter married his son, which was part of his fall from goodness, we will call it. Um, so the story found in Second Chronicles 20 is pretty long, and I'm not going to stand up here and read the whole thing, but I 
really encourage you, Second Chronicles 20, go home, read it. It's awesome. But I'm going to summarize it for us this morning. So the kingdom of Judah finds out they're about to be attacked by three ites. I will call them the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Midianites. Judah's army is strong, but it's no match for these three united armies. Jehoshaphat, realizing that they're not going to win, calls the entire kingdom to fasting and prayer. He then goes before his people and prays a public prayer asking for God's help in the battle. Following the prayer, the Spirit of God falls upon a prophet named Jehaziel, and he tells the kingdom that God is going to fight their battle. They need to simply stand still and not be afraid. The entire kingdom is obviously overjoyed, so then they worship God together, and the Levites from Kohath and Korah let out a very loud shout of praise. Jehoshaphat then picked some singers to go before his battle, and they actually walked to the battle with the people in the front praising God the entire time. As the army praised God, God set an ambush against the three ites, and the united armies ended up killing themselves. And so by the time the army of Judah arrived, their enemy was already dead. Um, the army of Judah then took three days to collect all the spoils of war. And on the fourth day, they worshiped God together in thanksgiving. They went back to Jerusalem because the Lord had caused them to rejoice over their enemies. They were super joyful. And they went into the temple and worshiped with the people. And then the fear of God came over all the kingdoms surrounding them because of their victory. And then Judah experienced a time of peace. So, like the army of Judah, we are facing battles that we are too weak to win. So what do we learn from that battle that we find in 2 Chronicles 20? We can split the battle into three parts. The preparation, the active battle, and the victory. Victory did not just simply fall into Judah's lap. God did not defeat their enemies before they even knew. Before the battle had even reached them, but they had heard about it, they began preparing through prayer. Um, Bridgeway Bible Commentary points out that God fighting for Judah was a result of their prayer. Prayer before the battle was just as important, if not more so, than their actions during the actual battle. Victory was determined before the battle even began, but it was determined through prayer. Um, 2 Chronicles 23, 13 3 through 13, I am going to read, and I have that for the screen. So, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nation. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save us. And now behold, the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, 
and whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So the first thing we see Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat do in this passage is he declares a fast for his entire kingdom. And this fast is a national act of self-humiliation that's implying an admission of guilt. It's implying that they are confessing their guilt before the Lord. So Judah began the battle by confessing their sins. They did not ask for victory. They did not um, start there. They started with their selves and their sins. A truth I speak a lot is that pain and suffering are not necessarily because of one's own sin. But that does not mean that some battles in our lives aren't because of our own sin. There are times where it is because we haven't confessed or we have sin in our life. So confession, when we're fighting a battle, is always the first step. John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. God works through the righteous person's prayer. Confession cleanses us, thus making us righteous. So we begin our battles by sitting down in the presence of God and seeking his righteousness. Now, we all have the righteousness given to us through Jesus. And that doesn't go away when we sin or anything like that. That's not what I'm implying. But God still does call his people to seek righteousness. And he still does call us to confess our sins. And so that's where we start. The next thing that happens in 2 Chronicles 20 is Jehoshaphat's prayer. And it is split into three sections. Are you not? Did you not? Will you not? So verse 6, it says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Jehoshaphat is declaring God's universal sovereignty. He's declaring who God is by affirming scriptural truths and what he has learned of God in his own life. Verse 7, he says, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Now Jehoshaphat is declaring God's power. He is declaring what God is capable of by recalling stories from the past. The next question, will you not, is in verse 12. It says, oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us, and we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This last thing, Jehoshaphat is declaring that God is going to defeat their enemies because of who he is and what he has done. And because of the promises God has given them. And we see those in verses 8 through 11. So this also declares how completely powerless Judah is against their enemies. So when we apply this in our own life, after confession, we remind our hearts who God is and what he is capable of doing 
by affirming scripture and what we have seen of him in the past. Then after remembering who he is and what he is capable of, we declare in faith his victory over our battle. Will you not? That's what we declare. But an important thing to notice is we can only declare the victory we are promised through scripture. Jehoshaphat knew that the lamb was theirs, not the ites, because God had promised it to his ancestors. And God had come into their presence and promised them the victory. Thus, their victory had to include defeating the ites because God had said it. But sometimes we declare a victory that has not been promised to us. Then when our victory does not look the way that we feel like it should look, we have a crisis of faith. So we must turn to God's word and know the victory that has been promised to us. After praying, Jehoshaphat and his armies entered the battle with faith in the promised victories they had received from God. As we enter our own battles, we must keep in our mind our promised victories. Our faith in battle is based on scriptural truths concerning God and the promises he has made to us. We cannot always expect to win our battles in the way we want. Because a person facing cancer, they may die. And a relationship facing collapse may end in divorce. And a temptation in our life may never be removed completely. Saying we may always want that addiction that we have already conquered. The temper we have defeated may always be waiting to bubble up. The anxiety we have given totally to the Lord may still show itself in times of stress. But those aren't the things God has promised. God hasn't promised that you will live forever or that all your relationships will be perfect or that you will never have another temptation. What God has promised is that death has no hold on you because you have eternal life through Jesus. What God has promised you is that he will work for the good of those who love him and are called his own. What he has promised is he will give us peace when we live how he has called us to live. We have the Holy Spirit. He's promised that. And he has also promised that we are never alone. He's promised he will provide a way through every temptation. And nothing can separate you from the love of Jesus. And he's promised that this life can pass away because in the next we will be with him. And there will be no pain, no tears, no death, and no mourning. But those things, those no tears, no death, those weren't promised here. They were promised to come, but that to come was promised. So let's begin to put our faith for battle in Jesus and the gospel and what he has promised and not in our physical and temporal victory because those things were not promised. Actually, Jesus said that we would have trouble. We would have battles. It wasn't going to be sunshine and butterflies and roses, even though we like all those things. Um, our victory is not here, but Jesus has overcome this world and he has placed our victory in himself and in heaven. Thus, we enter the battle in faith, not that we will win in this world, but that we will never lose Jesus. And if we live or we die, we will be with him. Paul says it in Philippians 1.21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's saying, regardless of how God chooses to deliver me from this battle, I will be with Jesus, and I will praise him. 
Why do we praise as we enter the battle? Praise is the external overflow of an internal faith. When we have that faith on the inside, we cannot help but let it flow out of us. Praise declares that we have faith in God's promises. It's the natural reaction to those promises. And praise is the constant reminder of who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. That's what praise in the battle is. Praise isn't everything's going to be great. Praise isn't because you believe everything will go perfectly. Praise is because you know who God is and you know what he has promised to you and you know that that victory is yours. The Levites from Korah and Kohath praised God before entering battle. And one of the commentaries I was reading points out that Psalms 46 through 49 are songs from the sons of Korah. And it's possible that we still have the praises that these men sang as they entered battle. We see the who God is, what he has done, and what he will do from Jehoshaphat's prayer echoed in Psalm 48, 1 and 8. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. And we also see the directive God gave to the army of Judah in verse 17, which was to stand and see the deliverance of the Lord, mirrored in Psalm 46.10, which people quote all the time, which is, Be still and know that I am God. Which leads us to God's final directive for battle. When we reach the battle, we stand still. We've already prayed, right? We've already praised, and now we stand. Second Chronicles 2017 that I just referenced says, You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Once those men arrived to the battlefield, they were not called to do anything else. They were simply called to stand there. A similar battle plan is actually echoed in Ephesians 6, which is where we're told to put on the armor of God. We are told to fasten the belt of truth. Well, we just talked about declaring the truth of who God is and what he has done and what he will do. We are told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is, conf- um, is connected to confession, right? So we confess. We're putting on the shoes of peace and the shield of faith. Actively having faith in God's victory and his promises brings that peace, and it acts as a shield against doubt. Wearing the helmet of salvation is praising God because of our salvation in every battle. And taking up the sword of the Spirit is using the word of God, the truth and his promises, as our weapon against believing that we are defeated. Then finally, in Ephesians 6, 13 and 14, God calls us to stand firm, just like the army of Judah was called to do. Our battles are not defeated because we're actually fighting. It's not about our strength or our ability, or what we can do, they are defeated because we prepare for them through prayer and acknowledgement that we are not able to defeat our enemies. Then we enter the battle with faith and praise because we believe in the strength of God's might and his ability to defeat the schemes of the devil. And then finally, we stand and see the salvation of the Lord on our behalf. 
The end of battle means that someone walks away victorious. Then they are given the blessings and benefits of victory. The army of Judah received the blessings and benefits of victors in battle. They did nothing. Ultimately, the victory belonged to God. Yet Chronicles 2, 2 Chronicles 20, 24 through 26 tells us that the army of Judah were the ones who left the battle with all the blessings and benefits of victors. It said, When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great number goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. It was so much they couldn't even carry it in one day. This was a huge load of victory. And we also received so many blessings and benefits of victors. Even though we haven't fought that battle, we are given those victory spoils where we can't even carry them in one day because Jesus fought for our salvation. It is through him that we receive all the blessing and benefits of being children of God. Paul writes in Romans 8, 37, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So you are not a conqueror. We do not enter the battlefield and slay our enemies because Jesus already did that. We are more than conquerors because we do not fight the battle, yet we receive the spoils of victory like the army of Judah. The ultimate blessing and benefit of victory is eternity with Jesus and his righteousness. The daily benefits that we receive from that are different for everyone, but being a child of God, we get those spiritual blessings. And God does defeat things in our lives, like tempers, and he gives us peace, and he heals relationships. And anything that Jesus restores in our life is a spoil of victory because he's already defeated it. And I just want us all to understand, it took three days. They just stood there, and then it took three days. God blessed them so much. And somehow we think that we're called to go fight the battle and we overlook all the benefits and the blessings because we're too busy fighting a battle that Jesus has already won. So if you're trying to slay your enemies today, stop. If you're caught up in a battle that you did not prepare for, yet you're trying to win through your own actions, please quit. It's never too late to step back from this battle and fight in the way God has called us to fight. Further, fighting on our own will leave us exhausted, defeated, and we're going to miss all the benefits and blessings of victory because we're not going to be the victors. So if you're facing a battle today, let me encourage you to prepare through prayer. First thing we do is we pray. We confess where we have unrighteousness in our lives. And then we declare the truth of who God is and what he has done and the promises of what he will do. We declare those promises in prayer over our life. Then we stand still in the battle with faith and praise. We don't fight from our own abilities. Instead, we have faith in the strength of Jesus and his faithfulness to his promises. And then we let that faith 
that belief spark praise in our own life that just pours out. And finally, we receive the benefits and blessings of victory. You already have the benefits and blessings of ultimate victory. But stop fighting and embrace them. Embrace what God has done for you and what Jesus is giving you daily and what he has given you in eternity this morning. So I know I talk fast and that might have been quick, but I do want to encourage us all to fight our battles how God has called us to. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us here, God, and thank you for giving us stories from the Old Testament that applies to our life today. God, I pray that we will all learn to step back from these battles and that we will enter battle through prayer and praise and faith. God, I thank you for these people, and I thank you for your love and the blessings and benefits you have given us through your son, Jesus. And we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.